sermon series uh, that will go for the next several weeks, about six weeks, and we are looking at the stories of Jesus. And Jesus told a lot of stories. Jesus was probably the most famous storyteller that there's, there's ever been, really. I mean, many we even if you haven't been a part of the church or um, been involved in church, you probably still know some of the stories that Jesus has told. Many of them are even just a part of the regular vernacular, the Good Samaritan, the Prodigal Son. I mean, there's things that people just know some of the language of the stories that Jesus told because he's a great storyteller and they're famous stories. Um, and so tonight we're starting and we're looking at the several stories that, that Jesus told. Just one second here. Guys, can, can someone close those back doors there just because some noise is coming through? Um, that's not a part of Jesus' stories. But we all like stories, right? I mean, I remember my grandma used to tell crazy stories about uh, throwing a man on the moon. I remember my, that's, not, that's a false story, just so you know. My grandpa told stories that were true stories about him back in the day working in the mines and beating the toughest guy in the mines and arm wrestling. And I mean, just all these different stories. I mean, just, we, we all love stories, right? And stories are used for different purposes. When you're a little kid, sometimes stories are used to, to help you morally. Um, you know, the boy that cried wolf or things like that to help kind of guide your behavior. Uh, stories are used just even today. And, and I mean, just as, as we're adults, we share things with one another out of our experience. Hey, you shouldn't do that because one time this happened to me or you shouldn't date this guy because one time when I dated a guy like that, it went like this or hey, you shouldn't do this or hey, you should do this because I mean, we share stories to help guide life. I mean, that's really what stories are used for. They're used to inspire our hearts. They're used to affect our minds. They're used to lead to actual change in life. I mean, that can be true with things just like movies and and uh, books that we read, that stories are, are really powerful, and we, we're drawn to stories. And Jesus told stories in a way that was often really unexpected. He would say things that would offend people. He would say things that would shock people. The outcome of the story, you would think it's going to go this way, and then Jesus would twist it like M. Night Shalaman, whatever his name is, and it, you know, it would go the other way. I mean, he would, Jesus told stories in a way that were meant to reorient our lives, to look at things differently. We think we, we enter into a story with one perspective, and then Jesus says, actually, this is how we're supposed to look at life. Actually, this is how life goes. So Jesus did that all the time, and tonight we're going to look at one of his most famous stories, and I mentioned it earlier, the prodigal son. This is probably in the top two of Jesus's if, if people rank, you know, Jesus's best stories on Rotten Tomatoes, this is, this is one of the top two of his stories. And it's, it's been one that many, many people know. It's been painted. It's been, I mean, talked about. It's been used. Even just the, I mean, you've, even if you're not a part of church, you've heard the language of a prodigal or things like that. Because it's, it's been one of the best stories that stood the test of time. And, and this is a story, like many of Jesus's stories, that are meant to reorient our lives. It's meant to help us look at something differently. And so the prodigal son, what we'll see as we look at this story is that it helps us to have a different perspective on both what our problem is in life. And we all have different problems. And I mean, just the pain we feel, the conflict we have with people, the, the distance we feel with God or the distance or the just guilt we feel within or the lack of purpose we feel. I mean, just the problem that we have. What, what is our problem? How, whatever that is for you. Pain we experience, conflict we experience. And what's God's response to that? So this is what this story is for. 
it helps us change a perspective maybe of how we would think about that. And so we'll get into this story tonight. So I'll, I'll read this story and we'll look at what Jesus says and then we'll go through and we'll look at how this changes our perspective on what our problem is and what God's response is to that problem, okay? So here we go. Here's what Jesus says. This is in Luke 15. We'll, I'll go through it here, but if you want to have it in the Bible, there's uh, one in front of you. And uh, you can have that Bible if you don't have a Bible. And so here's what Jesus says. He says this. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me, his inheritance. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. and Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. and All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So this is the story that that Jesus tells, one of the most powerful stories. So first, this helps us to see what is our problem? What is it that keeps us from God? What is it that causes conflict between us? What is it that causes internal pain, external pain in our lives? What is our problem? And the story has two brothers in it. And so we'll look at each of these brothers. And as we do that, what I want you to do is to really think about yourself in this story. Think about where you fit into this story. How, how does it describe you? How does it speak to your own heart and the own characteristics and qualities that you have? 
Let, find yourself in the story, because this is what Jesus intends with all of his stories, but especially this story, he intends for us to find ourselves in the story. Where are we? It's not just an abstract moral lesson. It's to say, okay, who are you in the story? Where are you in the story? So, what is our problem? We start with the younger brother. And the younger brother follows, what, I mean, what, what does he do? He's at home, and he decides, I want to leave home. I want to do my own thing, right? And he goes to his dad, and he says, hey, I want, I want just my inheritance, and I want to go do my own thing. I want to go live my own life, live it up, have fun. I mean, today, this would be, I want to go follow my heart. I just want to follow where my goals will take me, where my dreams will take me. I just want to do what I want to do. I just want to be free. He doesn't want to be home and be a part of kind of the moral constraints or cultural constraints or societal constraints or family constraints. He just wants to go do his own thing, live his own life, be his own person, discover himself, find himself. I mean, those would have been the kinds of things that the younger brother represents to be free, right? To be free, to be free to do what you want to do, free to think what you want to think, free to feel how you want to feel to not be bound by rules, to not be bound by family, to not be bound by the same old town, the same old place, and the same old thing, but to be free to do what you want. And that might, even as I say that, some of you may be inspired. Maybe that speaks to you. That's the younger brother. That's what he wanted to do. This is, this is what was going on in his heart. This is like many people in, probably in this room, many people in Denver, I mean, what, what, so what did the younger brother do? Look, he, he leaves, goes to a new city. He makes new friends, seeks out new experiences. I mean, a lot of people I've met in Denver, are, that's how they wound up here. Denver's the biggest city in a 600-mile radius. So a lot of people come from the south. They come from the Midwest to do exactly what this guy did, to go live, have fun, be free, to go live their life, have fun, follow their dreams, this is what the younger brother does, right? And what's interesting is, how does it start? How does it start with him? He goes to the father, who in the story represents God. He goes to the father, and he doesn't say, and I think, I mean, I've read the story a hundred times, and I don't know if I ever noticed this before, but what's interesting is he goes to the father, and he does not go to his father and say, I hate you, give me my money, I'm out of here, right? I mean, he, he is disrespectful in the sense that he says, I want my inheritance, and that is kind of basically saying, hey, so long, it's almost like you're dead, I want the money that would give it to me if you're dead, but he still, he goes to him, he says, father, still respectful, he says, I'd like my money, and leaves. And see, so this is how many people, I think, walk away from God. It isn't, God, I hate you. God, I don't like you. God, I don't want to be a part of what you're doing, and therefore I'm out of here. I mean, that's not what we see in this story. It's instead that there's other things that are drawing his heart. Do you see that? He doesn't go up to his father and say, I don't like you. I don't want anything to do with you. I'm out of here. Instead, it's just that there's other things that are compelling his heart. He says, man, I want to go to this city. I want to do these things. I want to make these friends. I want to have this money and, and live a fun life. I want to be free. It's not so much that he's, 
it's not so much that he's saying, Father, I don't want you. It's that he's saying, I want this. And isn't that, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, where all of your background is, but I know I've talked to many people that if you've taken steps away from God in your life or walked away from God at all or the church or anything like that, a lot of times that's how it happens. It doesn't happen with this conscious choice to say, I'm done with God. Now, that happens with some people, okay? But many people, it's not this conscious rejection of God. It's just a conscious pursuit of other things. Freedom, fun, friends, wealth. And this is, this is his story. This is what the younger brother does. So what's the result? The result is, externally, his life falls apart, right? It says he spent his money in reckless living. And so it all runs out, and then there's a famine, and then everyone kind of abandons him, and no one's there to help him, and his life just kind of falls apart. So externally, as he goes to pursue freedom, pursue fun, pursue all of this stuff that he thinks will bring him satisfaction and happiness and joy, it actually turns out the opposite. Life falls apart for him. And then internally, there would have been shame and disgust. I mean, at the very end of the story, it says that he's, he's sitting with pigs. And for us, that might not be that big of a deal, but for a Jewish boy... That would have been the lowest of the low. I mean, pigs were unclean animals. You weren't allowed to be around them, to touch them, to eat them, obviously, but even to be around them. So he's, he's in there at the lowest of the low. His life has fallen apart externally and internally would be feeling shame, guilt, failure, regret. This is, what, this is kind of what happens in his life. And some of you maybe have felt that, right? To different degrees. Maybe it's not your entire, I mean, his entire life falls apart. But I think maybe even all of us, definitely some of us, have felt that to degrees. Where I went to go pursue this, I went to go get my fill here, and this relationship fell apart. Or I have shame now about this, and regret about this, and I can't believe I did that. It, it might not be your entire life like it was for him, not everybody hits rock bottom, but it can be pieces. This relationship, this pursuit, this thing. I thought I was going to pursue my own freedom and my own happiness, my own joy, and it ended up breaking down. It ended up breaking me down. I also think it's interesting that if we slow down the story, it doesn't say how Jesus, I mean, it's a story, right? It's, it's, so it's not... It's not history, it's not detailed, it's a story, but if we slow it down, how, I mean, how long did all that take from him leaving home and then ending up with pigs? We don't know. But what's interesting is that if you slow the story down, let's say it took 10 years. So let's say you meet the prodigal son into year five. What would he have been like? Happy, Right? I mean, he's got women, he's got friends, he's got riches, he's probably the life of the party, people probably like him. I've met a lot of people like this in Denver. You meet them, everything is great, they just got here, this is awesome. And I've talked to some people that have said, after being here for five years, it's empty. It's not what I thought it was going to be. 
not that Denver is empty, but just, I thought I was pursuing all this freedom. I thought I was going to live it up. I thought it was going to be the greatest thing ever. And now my heart's empty. What have I done? I made these choices. I did these things. See, if we met the prodigal son when he first set off, you would have thought, man, this guy is living the life. This is awesome. And we don't always see the end of the story. And it doesn't always end the way his story ends either. Sometimes it goes on and on and on and on. So what was the problem in his heart? What, what was the problem in this son's heart? What happened? What, what was going on inside? Now, the problem is this, and maybe some of you resonate with this. There's a feeling of, there's something better out there. Something better than what I've been taught. There's something better than what I've been given. There's something better than what God says. There's something better than, than there's got to be something better out there. I don't want to be told what to do and have to live my life according to some God's rules. There's something better. There's something better where I can get life. Life is going to be best if I'm in control. I mean, that's the choice he makes, right? I don't want to be at my father's house anymore. I don't want to, I want to, I just want my money so I have the freedom to be able to do what I want to do. Life is going to be good if I'm in control. Life is going to have joy if I get to decide. Life is going to have joy if it's all up to me. This is what's happening with the prodigal son. But now there's the older son. The older son, too. And he's not the good guy in the story. So what, what was going on with him? Because the older son has a completely different path, right? The older son has a completely different story. The older son is at home. He tells his dad later in the story, I've always served you. I've always obeyed you. He's working out in the fields or he's out in the fields working. Maybe he was working out in the fields, but he was, he's out in the fields working. He's probably doing both because he's just that kind of guy, right? He's out there. He's obedient. He's faithful. So this is the kind of guy, this is the kind of guy that, whether religious or non-religious, is a moral, upstanding citizen. The kind of guy that's seeking to do the, or gal that's seeking to do the right thing. Wants to live life the right way, do the right thing, be a good person, listen to their father, listen to God. Man, if you, if you meet these people today, so if, if you met the first son, they're probably more like a Justin Bieber kind of person, okay? But if you meet this son, he's more, if I had a mirror, like these kind of people, me, me included. I mean, he's a good guy. He reads his Bible. He says, God, I obey you. I listen to you. I do what you say. I serve you. This might be the person that wears a name tag. No offense if you're wearing one right now. But he might be that person, right? He says, I've always served. I've always given. I'm always at church. I'm, I am obedient. I follow you. But he's not the good guy in the story. He's not the good guy. So what's his problem? What's, I mean, you look at him and you think, that guy sounds pretty respectable. What's wrong with him? What's wrong with that? So you look at the younger son, and it's, it's really obvious that he's got a problem because of his actions. But the older son, it's his attitude. You've got to look inside the heart. It's his motive. 
It's not so much what he has done, but why he's done it. Does that make sense? Not so much, I mean, the things that he's done are good. He says, I've obeyed, I've served. It's not so much what he's done, but it's why he's done it that matters. It's the motives going on inside of his heart. It's the motives inside of his heart that reveal the problem. Why is he obeying? Why is he serving? Why is he in the fields working? Why does he never leave home? Why? Well, he tells us. He says, Father, I did all this, or translated, God, I've done all this, and yet you never gave me this. I've done all this stuff, and you've never rewarded me. So you see, he's, he's doing it for himself. Yeah, I'm obeying. Yeah, I'm serving. But why? For myself. To get something. Now today, for us, what does this mean? Why do we obey? Why do we serve? Why do we do the right things? Why do we live a good life? Why do we be respectable? Why do we be moral? Why do we, why? That's an important question. It's not just what, but why? And he says it's to get something. And this can be, this can be to, to get a self-image. Maybe you, maybe you don't want an actual tangible, maybe you don't want a goat. Anyone not want a goat? He wanted a goat, okay? But that's probably not high on your list. Of like, man, I want a goat. I've been serving every Sunday and Caleb's never given me a goat. <laughs> if you want one, I'll, I'll find one, okay? I like goat cheese, so. But what, happen, what happens is we serve, we obey, we live morally to get. It might be to get a self-image. Man, I'm a good person. So maybe it's not to get an actual item, but just a feeling of, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It might be that. It might be as simple as that. It might be to get something from God. Maybe you feel like if I do these things, God will give me this. If I live this way, God will give me this. But it can also just be this sense of, all right, I feel good about myself now. I think that is what it is for a lot of people. See, his problem was not so much what he did, but why he did it. It's living for himself, to get. Now, what this does is it affects our relationship with God and affects our relationship with other people. See, it affects our relationship with God because often this kind of heart, and this is how he was in the story, is we feel like, God owes me something. God owes me something. He says, look, I've served, I've obeyed, and now I want what's coming to me. So if you, look, if you live a good life, and maybe you have been, maybe you've been living an awesome life, the best life, maybe you're a great mom or a great dad or a great husband or a great wife or a great employee or a great friend or a great church member or just an all-around good person, and you've been living a really good life, and you do things the right way, and you think about things the right way, and you feel the right way, what can happen is you start to feel like, God owes me. I'm doing my end of the bargain. Now, God, you got to live up to your end of the bargain. You owe me. But then this is what happens. See, this affects our relationship with God, because if things don't go the way that we think they should play out, the way that we expect that they should happen, it creates a bitterness towards God. It creates an anger towards God. 
Or it just creates a self-pity, like, this isn't fair. What's going on? I'm doing what you say to do. It can be anger. It can be sadness. Just I mean, it can be both on different days or the same day. But it can create this mentality of, God, I have lived the way you've told me to live. I've worked in the fields. I've done these things. And you're not delivering what I think you should deliver, what I expect you to deliver, because I'm doing my thing. You're not doing your thing. It really views God as a boss. And we feel like we're working and not getting paid. See, this is what's going on in his heart. Some of you maybe have felt that life hasn't turned out the way you thought it should turn out. And you think, God, this isn't fair. If you've ever thought that, God, this isn't fair. It's because there's a dynamic in your heart that says, I've lived how I'm supposed to live. And you're not living how you're supposed to live. Oftentimes, this affects our relationship to God too because we're blind to his blessings. See, the, the conversation the father has with the older son at the end, he's like, dude, well, he doesn't say that, but he says, hey, son, everything I have is yours and I'm always with you. See, he's blind to what God's actually done for him. See, if you are living a life where you're trying to be this good person and do these right things and do everything God says, and then life doesn't go how you want it to go, and things aren't, you become blind to the reality. Because the reality is everything the Father has, he says, belongs to the Son. All my goats are yours, and I'm always here with you. What are, what are you talking about? We, if we live this way, we become blind because we feel owed. We feel it should be on our terms, what we want, when we want, and we actually become blind to reality. There's some people, and you talk with them, and they complain about everything. They're not thankful about things. And sometimes you wonder, do you not see? Do you not see everything else? This son was blind to what was true, blind to reality of what God had actually provided, what the father had actually provided. Here's what's interesting, though, about this guy. A lot of times, people like the older brother are really happy if life's going the way they want it to go. And that's the test. What happens when life doesn't go how you want it to go? Not what happens when you feel like God's doing his part. God, you gave me this. Thank you. God, you gave me this. You're awesome. God, you did this. Ah, oh, this guy, man, I'm telling you. But what happens when things don't go how you think they should go? What happens when things don't go how you expect they would go? That's the test in your heart of are you operating out of the kind of heart that the older brother had? That when I do these things, I should get these things. When I do this, God, you owe me this. It affects our relationship with other people because if our self-image, if our worth, if our identity is based on being good, being right, and look, this doesn't have to be morality. It can just be, I'm the kind of person that thinks about things the right way. 
that does things the right way, that dresses the right way, that talks the right way, that lives my life the right way, that makes the right choices and right decisions. If your sense of worth and value, identity is based on, I do the right things, then what that creates is a sense of superiority over other people. That's what happens with him and his brother. So much so that he doesn't even call him his brother. So much so that he doesn't even want to have anything to do with him. I'm not even associated with that guy. Because it creates in the heart this dynamic, I'm better than other people. If that's what your sense of worth is built on, then you have to distance yourself from other people. People that aren't like you, people that make different choices than you. So it affects our relationship with God. It affects our relationship with other people. Okay, so what's our problem? You see the younger brother, you see the older brother. Both of them have the same dynamic going on in their heart. Both of them are saying, I want to be in control of my life. I want to be in control of my life. They're both focused on themselves. Do you see that? The younger son is focused on himself, and so he says, I'm out of here. I'm going to go live my own life and do my own thing. But the older brother is focused on himself and that he says, I'm living a great life. I'm doing the right thing. I'm obeying the Bible. I'm going to church. I'm praying. I'm, I'm doing all these things. Why? So that I can get something. A self-image. Something from God. Both of them are focused on themselves. See, this is a different story. This is different. And, and the people that Jesus told this story to, there would have been a crowd of people like the younger brother listening to the story. And there would have been a crowd of people that were Pharisees listening to the story, the religious leaders listening to the story. And it says in the very beginning of this, as Jesus is telling this story, it says that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were complaining and they were grumbling that Jesus was hanging out with sinners. And so it says, so Jesus told them this story. So everyone's complaining and everyone's grumbling. And he says, hey, let me tell you a story. Just you know, let's sit around. Let's just have a story. Okay, sweet. And it goes predictably in some ways at first. Yeah, that younger brother, he runs away from home, of course. But then the story begins to change. And the younger son's not the only bad guy. The older brother, the, the, the good one, the religious one, he's the bad guy. Because both of them are focused on themselves. One is doing all the right things for himself. And one is doing all the wrong things for himself. Both of them are seeking to use God. You know, the younger brother comes to the father and says, I want your money. He's not interested in a relationship with the father. He's not, he says, I want your money. I want, I want the good things that you can give to me. Many people are like this. They believe there's a God and they want what he has to give. They're not interested in him. They're not interested in a relationship with him. They're not interested in building their life around him. They're interested in the good things that he can give to them. And the older brother's the same way. I've obeyed you, I've served you, and I want to go and I want to party with my friends. Both are interested in how they can use the Father. Not to love the Father, not to enjoy the Father. Both have a self-focus and are merely using God. So here's what Jesus says about this. Here's what the story tells us about what our problem is. There's two ways that we reject the Father. Not just one. Two ways. One way is to do our own thing and live our own life. 
and one is to be a very moral person and follow all the rules. Both are rejecting the Father, depending on the heart, depending on the motive. Both reject. There's two different ways to reject the Father. That's what this story shows us, and both of them need repentance. See, the younger brother, it says he came to himself. He came to himself. He realized, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against my father. What have I done? I need to go repent. And the younger son, or sorry, that's the younger son. The older son, it doesn't tell us. It leaves the story open-ended. Jesus ends it abruptly. Because the older son needs to repent too. Not for all the horrible bad things he's done, but for all the good things he's done. This is really important. Have you ever repented for all of the good things you've done? For the wrong reasons? Have you ever repented for all the good things you've done because they were meant to give you a sense of self-image? All the good things you've done because they were meant to get something, to put God in your favor, to put others in your favor, to look good, to feel good. That's what Jesus said. Our problem is deeper than we think it is, and, and really, the older one is more dangerous often, because the younger guy knows, I'm hanging out with pigs. This is bad, right? The older brother thinks, I'm awesome. So often, if you identify more with the younger one, you may know, I'm desperate. But if you identify with the older one, you may feel like, maybe even right now, whatever. What are you talking about? I mean, what do you think the Pharisees felt like when Jesus told this story to them? They thought, you are a crazy man. They thought the older brother was the hero. They would have been offended. See, the older brother is more dangerous because he doesn't see his need. He thinks he's right. He has that thing going on in his mind where he says, yeah, but this, yeah, but that, yeah, but this. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe some of you do. Maybe not. Because <laughs> you're the younger brother. If you're the older brother, you know what I'm talking about. So what's God's response? This is what Jesus says. He, he helps us re, kind of redefine our problem. That our problem is a self-focus that can lead to being like the younger brother and doing whatever we want, or being like the older brother and doing everything we're supposed to do. A focus on ourselves. That's what our problem is. I have a typo there. Was is God's response? Okay? Because we're kind of talking about a country story here of pigs and farmers. So, was is God's response? That's what I want to know. <laughs> okay, so here we go. What was is it? The first thing is this <laughs> God shows an initiating love. Isn't that amazing? So, you see it with the prodigal son where he, he's, he's out there. And it says he's a long way off, and the father saw him. So a lot of people have pointed out what that must mean is he was waiting for him. You know that? He's waiting for him. So he's hoping. He's probably praying. He's sitting on his rocking chair and just, okay, is my son going to come home? Is my son going to come home? I hope he comes home. I hope he realizes that though he thinks life is out there, that he'll find life here. He's praying for him. He's waiting for him. And then what happens? He sees him off in the distance, it says. And then what does he do? It says he runs to him. Now, this is interesting because old men don't run, right? 
There's a movie called White Men Can't Jump. There should be another one called Old Men Don't Run. And that's true today. You don't usually see an old man running. But it's especially true in that culture. He would have had to pick up his robe and look. I'm not going to act it out because I already acted country, so I'm not going to do this. But he would have had to pick up his robe and run. And it would have been very undignified. But he didn't care. And what's cool is his son comes and his son says, I'm not worthy, I'm not. And he kind of says, shut up. He gives him a hug and a kiss. So there's this, he, he goes out to him. See, what it shows about God's response is that we think when I'm in my sin and when I've got this stuff, God wants me to pay for it. He wants me to, you know, there's got to be this kind of long battle and he wants me to think about what I've done. And, and he says, no, God runs out to him. But not just that guy, the older brother too. So the older brother's outside, and he, it says he hears music and dancing, so he's hearing you know, techno music and sees glow sticks and just kind of upset what's going on in there. And he walks up, says, hey, what's happening? And the servant tells him, your brother's here. Yeah, it's so awesome. And he's like, ah, whatever. And then the father, it says, comes out to him. He says, the father comes out to, so the older brother who's judgmental and self-righteous and thinks he's awesome, the father comes out to him and says, son, come inside and party. Come on, man. It's a good time. See, both of them, it says that the father goes towards them. He gives them a love that takes the first steps towards them. That's amazing. But secondly, what does it show us about God's response? He's very gracious. Very gracious, right? So the son comes, and the son has this plan. He says, I don't have any bread. My father's got a lot of bread. Okay? So I'm going to go home and eat some bread. And I'm going to pay everything back. I'll tell him, I'm not worthy to be your son. I'll be your servant. But what does the father do? He's very gracious, right? It says he gives him a ring. It says he gives him a robe put shoes on his feet, and he says, go get the fattest calf there is, and let's have a party. I mean, that's a good day, right? I mean, someone, I mean, even if you hadn't done anything, and someone came up to you and said, I got a ring for you, I got a robe for you, I got Nikes for you, fresh Jordans, and I've got a bunch of ribs. I got a ring, a robe, and ribs. We're having a party. I mean, that's a good day, right? That's what, I mean, is that what you would expect as the result of your sin? Is that, I mean, if you think about, okay, God's, see, Jesus tells this story to shake us up because we think, okay, I've sinned. I got to earn it back. I got to, I mean, if I'm the younger son, I'm thinking, okay, I'm coming back to the father. I've got to work at least probably 80 hours a week, 40 to get by, and then another 40 to pay back what I took. And then I probably got to do some things where I somehow work off the fact that I was hanging out with pigs and I'm sleeping with prostitutes. I got to work that off somehow. I mean, reckless living. Okay, I got to have a bunch of good living. But that's how we think. But the father says, you're here? Ring, robe, ribs, let's go. Party. And that's not what we expect with our sin. I just sinned. Let's have a party. What? But that's what he does. And the same thing with the older son. The older son, I mean, just think about this guy, right? 
I mean, think about this guy that everybody's inside having a party, okay? Think about this. Everybody's inside having, there's music and dancing, so it's a good party. And meat, music, dancing, meat, big party. And then the father looks outside and sees the older brother out there. And he's probably outside reading his Bible, okay? And he's just mad, reading verses about sinners being dumb. And the, so if you're the father, what are you doing in that moment? I mean, I, I don't know what you would do, but I'd probably turn the music up, hand out extra glow sticks. I mean, because you, don't, you want to invite that guy into the party? But the father's gracious, right? Goes out to him. And he says, hey, man, come on in, buddy. I love you. He says, he calls him his son, and the word is child. So he says, child, come in. Child. I mean, he's, so the father is gracious. He, he's not self-righteous to the self-righteous. He's not rude to the rude. He's gracious to both the prodigal son and to this older brother party pooper. He goes out to both of them. And he says, come on in. He's gracious. He pursues. And then finally... His response is this, and I've already said it all through, but what does he do? He invites them to a party. Both of them. Both sons are invited to a party. John Travolta, because <laughs> every sermon needs a John Travolta reference. John, so there's a, docu a new documentary out about Scientology, and uh, it's this big expose thing, okay? And John Travolta, I, I watched like two minutes of it maybe three. But in the very beginning, John Travolta says, the reason he likes Scientology is there's no other religion that one of its main points is joy. And I think he's, I, I mean, John, you're crazy, man. Because what you see here is the father says, I'm inviting you to a party. I'm inviting you to a party. That's what Christianity is. It's God inviting us to a party. It's God inviting us to a celebration. It's God inviting us to real life, to true life. That's what, that's what Christianity is, is. The Father says, come into my party. Come hang out with me. Come have a feast with me. I want joy and happiness for you. I want life for you. That's what it is. This is something we all need to see, right? What the Father says is, I'm offering to you everything you were looking for. Because what's the, what was the younger son looking for? Life, joy, happiness. He wanted freedom to go do his own thing and have fun and live it up. What was the older son wanting? It says he wanted a goat and a party with his friends. To get something, right? I've obeyed, I've served. Why? So I can have joy. And the Father says, I want your joy. I'm inviting you to a party. I'm inviting you to a party. This is, I mean, a big reason why we started this church. Because there's a lot of younger brothers, as in this story, that are out there that think they've rejected God and that God's dumb and that God is not where joy is to be found. God is not where life is to be found. I don't want to follow all the rules. I don't, I don't want, they don't want to, basically, they don't want to be like the older brother. Because they see that and see it's joyless. And people are angry and people are bitter. 
and they're judgmental and they're self-righteous. So they said, I don't want that. There's a lot of people that are out there that don't know that what John Travolta knows about Scientology is that God says, I want you to come into a party. You see what he says about his son? He was dead and is now alive. His son wasn't dead. He just means he was living a life that was not actually life. But there's a lot of people out there that are older brothers too that think that what Christianity is, what God is, is just doing your work, following the rules. And God says, no, it's a party. It's a party. I want your joy. I want you to experience life to the full. Life with me. Life where you can love me and know me and have your life built around me. That's life. That's what God invites us all into, a party. And here's the amazing thing. The father left his rocking chair and ran out to the road to meet the son. Doesn't say anything about a rocking chair, okay? If you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't say. He left his rocking chair and went out to go meet the son. He left the party and went out to meet the older son. Now, this is a story, but in reality, how did God come to us? He left heaven. The Bible says that God, Jesus, he left the earth, came to this earth. That's how far he went. He didn't just run down the road. He didn't just exit the party. He exited heaven. The Bible says he humbled himself and actually became human to come after us. And what did it cost the father to bring back the son? A lot of money. I mean, the calf would have been really expensive. The ring, the robe, the shoes, all expensive to bring him back in. But what did it cost Jesus to bring us back in? Everything. His life. I mean, so the father in the story is, is, I mean, he's awesome, right? But in real life, Jesus didn't just leave his rocking chair. He didn't just leave the party. He left heaven to come after us. And it didn't just cost him some things. It didn't just cost him money. The Bible says that it cost him his very life. When we take communion, that's what we remember. The Bible says that we, because we've said, Father, I reject you, whether by living a good life or by living a crazy life, because we've lived like that, the cost is that we should be separated from the Father that Jesus comes and says, no, I'm going to pay the cost instead. And it's not just the cost of a ring and a robe and a calf and shoes. The cost is my life, my blood, my body. And that's why he came. He came to say, I will pay the cost to bring you into the party. I'll give you my life. My life for your life. So if you're a Christian, when you take communion, remember that. Remember that the cost of relationship with the Father was Jesus' life, and he gave it willingly. He left heaven willingly. He came just like the Father. He runs to us and says, I want you to be in my family and enjoy life with me. If you're not a Christian, I would just ask you to consider, does that ring true to your heart? Is that something different? Maybe different than how you've looked at it. Different than just the older son that's trying to just live his life and follow all the rules and maybe that's what you've rejected. 
but not knowing that you've actually rejected a father that loves you and cares for you and invites you into a party to experience life with him. So let me pray for us. We'll take communion and we'll sing songs to this God, okay? Father, thank you that you have brought us into your family. Thank you that um, you're a gracious God that gives to us what we don't deserve. That just like you give to the sun, the ring and the robe and all these good things, not because he earned it, not because he deserved it, but just because of grace. Jesus, that's what you've done for us. You've brought us into your family out of pure grace. Thank you. Lord, here's what I just want to ask you tonight. Um, I don't know everyone's heart in this room. I know my own heart. And God, I know there's people in here that probably identify more with the older brother and probably identify with the younger brother, or maybe they're middle brothers. There's some combo. And Lord, I pray that you would lead us to repentance. Help us, God, to just confess to you the ways that we have lived for ourselves. The way we've lived for ourselves doing our own thing or the way we've lived for ourselves doing the right thing, living the right way, but really still for us. Show that to everyone's heart, what you want them to see. And then, God, let us joyfully receive your grace and forgiveness because you invite us to a party. And help us, Lord, to rejoice and to have joy in the life that you bring to us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.